Give me a wave. So good to see you all. Shiny faces. Uh, we're kicking off a new series today. We've called it um, Everyone Plays, Everyone Grows. And we're going to be looking at one of our core values as a church. Over this next month, we're going to be looking at this core value of we are, we are servant-hearted. We believe in just as Jesus was the servant king, the God of the universe became a man and served us. We want to be servants. We want to be people who are serving the purpose of God with our lives and in this generation. Anyone agree? Let's pray. We're going to turn to the Bible. Father, thank you you're among us. Thank you you love us and you have a plan for everyone in this room. God, I thank you so much that you came and served us and we want to serve you. I pray inspire our thoughts. Challenge us where we need challenged. Help me to speak. Help us to hear. Come Holy Spirit. Have your way among us. In Jesus' name. Um, there was a racehorse that just kept winning. In every big annual race, it just, even if as the race progressed, it looked like it wasn't going to win, in the last straight, it would win every time. And people couldn't get their head around it, but they noticed something funny that the jockey would lean over and whisper in the ear of the horse just as it turned the last corner facing the finish line. And somehow what the jockey said caused the horse just to up its game and run and win the race. Everyone noticed this. A journalist asked the jockey, what is it you whisper in the ear of the horse every time and somehow or another you win every race? And the jockey said, it's dead easy. I just lean over and I say, roses are red, violets are blue. Horses that lose are made into glue. <laughs> what motivates you? What causes you to up your game? What is it that stirs you on the inside to do stuff on the outside? The apostle Paul didn't used to be called Paul, he used to be called Saul. His legacy was a very different legacy and it changed dramatically. What changed him? What motivated his life? Here's what Paul says after the change happened. This is, this is how he described it. He says this, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 9 to 10, and he says, I am the least of the apostles. I do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace to me was not without effect. Another translation says, His grace to me was not in vain. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was within me. The Apostle Paul tells us why he does what he does. It's a word. You see it in the verse? It's a word. What's the word? Grace. Grace. Something called grace changed him from what he was to what he became. Well, what was he? He was a vicious man. He was a vicious man. He was very religious, but he believed with all his heart in deep sincerity Jesus was wrong, and his followers were off track. And so he did everything he could to eradicate Christianity. He says, I, I, don't, I can't even consider myself as worthy of being called an apostle, because he said, I used to persecute the church. In other words, the thing that he's now building, he used to try and eradicate with great passion. Paul describes it to us. Just, I'll read it to you. It's not on, on the screen behind me. Acts chapter 26, he describes what he used to do. Acts 26 verse 9, I used to believe that I ought to do everything I could to oppose the name, the very name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene. Indeed, I did just that in Jerusalem, authorized by the lead priests. I caused many believers there to be sent to prison. Many believers to be sent to prison. And I cast my vote against them when they were condemned to death. Now, we know he was there casting his vote against Stephen when he was condemned to death. But he puts it in the plural. He said, I cast my vote against, not against him, but against them. He instigated the death of many followers of Jesus. You imagine living with that. Imagine living with the knowledge that you instigated the death of many believers, and now you're a church leader. It says, many times I had them punished in synagogues to get them to curse Jesus. He tried to get them to blaspheme. Do you know what? I think sometimes he would have succeeded. Imagine you living with the knowledge, I don't know how many dozens, hundreds, of people 
<clears throat> with the threat of death, that actually gave up on their faith, and you knew that you did that. I was so violently opposed to them that I even chased them down to foreign cities. In fact, he, he hunted Christians as far as 150 miles from Jerusalem. The first ever martyr recorded in the New Testament, Stephen, a guy who cared for widows, the vulnerable, and the poor. A guy who just made a huge difference positively. Saul killed him. Imagine that was your legacy. Imagine you'd lived that way, and you did this for three years. That's what the Bible records. For three years, he was vengeful. He was aggressive. He was against Christians. He was doing everything he could to eradicate Christianity. But then, again, I'll just describe this to you. You can read this in your own time. Acts chapter 9, Saul, as he was then called, had a conversion experience. He was on, this, on the road to Damascus where he was planning in imprisoning and arresting more Christians, causing havoc, ruining people's lives. That's, that was his agenda. And as he was on his way there, the Bible says, all of a sudden there was a bright shining light from heaven. He was knocked to the grounds and he heard a voice and it was Jesus. He said, why are you persecuting me, Saul? And he said, who are you, Lord, whom I'm persecuting? And he said, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. He said, now arise, I have called you. I'm going to send you. I'm going to use you. And incredible. Paul is face to face with Jesus. Simultaneously, in that moment, he had two realizations. First realization was that Jesus was true. He wasn't a phony. Jesus was the real deal. Jesus was indeed Lord and God and Savior. Boom, at him. All of a sudden, the guy he hated, he suddenly revered and realized that he was the real deal. Secondly, simultaneously with that revelation, he got another revelation, and the other revelation was this, I am the worst of the worst. In fact, in 1 Timothy 1 verse 15, he calls himself the chief of sinners. He wasn't saying that for effect. He really believes it. He said, you don't get more low than me. I killed God's people. I ruined churches. I caused people to blaspheme. I messed up. I'm the worst of the worst. Imagine waking up one day thinking you were doing just fine and then suddenly realizing I'm a murderer. Imagine suddenly one day you've gone from seeing yourself as the most zealous, most religious, most upright individual to all of a sudden seeing yourself the worst of the worst and the most corrupt. You've seen the face of God. But instead of facing judgment, instead of being struck dead, you're forgiven. You're given eternal life. You experience a love like you've never experienced before. That's grace. G-R-A-C-E. God's riches at Christ's expense. And I love that. That's the thing that moved him. That's why he grafted. That's why he went to the nth degree. That's why he labored. Grace. Grace. God's riches at Christ's And hey, I don't care who you are today. If you don't know God, you're a sinner. You may not have done the stuff he did, but you've done stuff. And before God, you're guilty. But when you see God face to face, I've got good news for you today. God comes to you today in love, in this meeting as you, he's here, and he calls you not to judge you, but to save you. Today, he extends to you grace. Today, you can be saved. You may not be as bad as Paul, but you're bad. I'm bad. I'm grateful. I'm saved. You can be saved. If you're not saved yet, you're living in a sticky situation. You need saved. And the Savior is here. Jesus is alive risen from the dead. He died on the cross to save you. He paid the price for your sin. That's why you can be acquitted. He paid the price. He rose again. He's alive, and He wants you to conquer death through Him. He wants to give you eternal life, total forgiveness, eternal acceptance. Instead of judgment, forgiveness and grace. You don't want to live another day on earth without accepting that. Today, today, don't wait any longer. Today, make that choice. Choose to become a follower of Jesus. I don't care what it means giving up. Just choose to follow Jesus. Nothing else compares to following Jesus. Put him first in your life. Wow, what an offer. So Paul is transformed. And what would you do? If you were like Paul and you'd been changed like that, what would you do? Well, he gave up his respected position in Judaism, 
a safe career, a good income. He gave it up and became a tent maker, spent his life traveling thousands of miles, planting hundreds of churches, seeing lives transformed, just going to the nth degree to bless the church that he used to curse, to build the church that he used to try and tear down, preaching thousands of sermons, training leaders. He wrote 13 of the 27 books in the New Testament. Incredible. Goes and lives this radical life. He went from being the persecutor to being the persecuted. Again, I'll read this to you. It's not on the screen. 2 Corinthians 11, he says, I've been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. Constantly on the move, I've been in danger in, from rivers, dangers from bandits, in danger from the fellow Jews, in danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the country, danger at sea, in danger from false believers. I've labored and toiled. I've gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst. I've often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Why on earth did he go through all that? Why on earth? Well, he's told us. I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God. Yet not I, but the grace of God. His drivenness was rooted in grace and in the gospel. He wasn't working for his salvation. He was working from his salvation. He was not working for acceptance. He was working from acceptance. He had been unconditionally accepted. And do you know what? Here's the thing with unconditional acceptance. This is the thing with unconditional acceptance. It's unconditional. Even if he didn't do anything for the rest of his life, he's now heaven bound. That's the thing with unconditional acceptance. Even if he didn't do anything, he was saved. And even if you didn't do anything with your life, you're not going to heaven based on what you did or didn't do. You're going to heaven based on your trust on Jesus and what he did for you. Unconditional acceptance. And it caused him, instead of it causing him to sit back and relax and chill out and do zip like most Christians today. You know where this is going. It caused him to become this driven individual, not driven in the wrong sense, driven in totally the right sense. I worked harder than them all. Yet not I, but the grace of God within me. Now, you don't have necessarily a dramatic conversion like Saul had. Maybe you've not been where Saul's been. Maybe he didn't go that low. But here's the reality you get the same reward he got. He doesn't get any better than you. The same forgiveness he got. If you're a believer in Jesus, you got exactly the same forgiveness. The same hell he was saved from. If you're a believer in Jesus, the exact same hell you've been saved from. You got the same reward he got. So I get that you maybe, you look on it, Paul, and think, I can see how you're so motivated, Paul, because you went from that to this. But no, you don't understand. You get exactly the same reward as Paul. So I want you to be able to say, man, I just grabbed it. Yet not I, but the grace of God within me. Why do you do what you do? What motivates you? There's another guy, I talked about him last week, Nicholas Zinzendorf. I'm so inspired by this guy. Him and the Moravians in the 1700s, they began the first large-scale Protestant missionary movement. In 150 years, they sent out 2,000 missionaries to far reaches. I mean, it's Antarctic, Caribbean, I'd have gone for the Caribbean one, right? So uh, all different corners of the earth, they sent out missionaries to plant churches courageously, courageously. I mean, what motivated him to do that? Going back the years before, he was a very, very wealthy young man, worked for the government. He had a huge estate near Dresden, massive estate of lands. One day he was approached by a friend, and he was asked by a friend if some Moravians, some refugees from the Czech Republic could come and live in his land. Why did he say yes to that? What was going on in his soul that made him say, yeah, they can come and stay on my land? 
And three families came, but the three families soon became 300 people. And then he became their pastor. And he cared for these refugees who had survived two waves of intense persecution in Europe. Because in those days, in the 1700s, if you're an authentic believer in Jesus, oftentimes you face great intense persecution from the state and from religious organizations and groupings. And then many of them had died. But here these people, these refugees, these religious persecuted group, came to stay on his lands. The Holy Spirit fell, and that was what began this wave of missionary movement. 2,000 missionaries sent out. How did that all begin? Well, if you go back to when he was in his late teens, he'd finished university, and he went on tour around Europe. And he came to a particular art gallery where there was a painting of Jesus. And the picture of Jesus was Jesus bound, standing beside Pilate, and the title of the painting was Behold the man. You remember the time when Jesus was brought out before the crowds and Pilate said, Behold the man. That was the title of this painting, Jesus bound and, and, and standing in front of the crowds. Behold the man. And underneath the painting had this inscription. This is what I have done for you. What have you done for me? And Zinzendorf, as a young man in his late teens, the guy who began this huge missionary movement, we ask, why did he do what he did? Why did he agree to the refugees coming? Why? What was the motive? What was going on behind? What was going on in his soul that would make him do those things? <clears throat> as he stood there as a 19-year-old looking at this painting of Jesus and thinking and contemplating the cross and thinking, God, you are willing to go to that extent for me. You are willing to come into this world, die on a cross, rise again for me. As he was thinking in that, this is what he says, and, and I quote, he said this, I have loved him for a long time. He'd become a Christian in his early years, but I've never actually done anything for him. And he made a decision, from now on, I will do whatever he leads me to do. Say that after me, I will do whatever he leads me to do. Say it again, I will do whatever he leads me to do. So when you contemplate the cross, when you think about the greatness of what God has done for you, I kind of want that same expression to come from our hearts. We would say, I will do whatever you call me to do. And for him it meant some refugees can come and live in my land, step one. And for some of you it means, considering the cross and being impacted by grace, for some of you it means you go out and care for refugees in the city. You care for the homeless. You feed the poor. You love the unlovable. You guys are amazing. For some of you, welcoming the stranger means you're on the door welcoming people as they come in the door because you know how important a good welcome is coming into a church. Church is a strange environment for some people. They don't get a good welcome. They don't come back. So for you, well, Jesus It's not huge. It's not like world changing. But I'm going to welcome someone on the door of my church. You know, Zinzendorf, he facilitated a gathering of people. He became their pastor, this group of Moravians. He he became their pastor. He broke bread with them. He cared for them. He did Bible study with them. And for some of you, because you've been impacted by Jesus, you're saying, do you know what? I'm going to open up my home. I'm going to do a thing called a small group. I'm going to run a small group. You know, I've been going to small groups, but I'm actually, I'm going to step up to the mark. I'm going to actually lead a small group. I don't feel qualified. Who does, right? No one feels ready for that step. But you, I'm going to open up my home. I'm going to lead a small group. I'll pray for people. I'll visit them when they're in the hospital. I'll do communion for them. We'll, we'll read the Bible together. Just simple stuff. And then he went out in mission. And do you know what's amazing is, as a church, we went from being one church, one location here in Leith, to planting Gorgie, to planting North, to planting South. <clears throat> We're a missionary bunch of people. We've been, pl- we've been out of our comfort zone planting. Why do we do that? Yeah, not I, but the grace of God within me. When I was 15 years old, I became a Christian. I became a follower of Jesus. And I, I didn't have a dramatic story like Paul. I was just a young guy full of perversion, got into lots of fights, and I just realized I needed Jesus. And one evening, in a little lane at the back of my house, I repented for my lust and my sexual sin. I repented for being aggressive. I repented for being a hypocrite. And I said, Jesus, forgive me. And he forgave me. He just totally acquitted me. And you know, 
He didn't just equip me then, but every sin I've ever committed, even the ones I'm yet to commit, even though I don't want to, they've all been covered. Because what he did for me 2,000 years ago was an eternal act because he's God. He's not just a man. He did something for me that has cleansed me eternally, eternally. He gave me a reward based on his work for me, not my work for him. He's eternally accepted me. And anyone who's accepted Jesus, you are declared righteous. As Sammy read earlier, you've been made holy and blameless in his sight. That blows me away. You've been declared holy and blameless in his sight. Well, I didn't earn that one. (laughs) Well, who did? Jesus did. So, I I, honestly, I remember as a 15-year-old when I made that decision, I remember, it's just a dead simple logic came into my head. You've just given me heaven. A simple logic. And I just made a decision. Well, then, God, I would like to do everything I can to take as many people with me as possible. Right? I mean, you've just given me the greatest gift ever. So I want to just do everything I can to bring as many people with me as possible. And then I was gripped, as a, it, it, not as a 16-year-old, 17-year-old, 18, I was gripped by this thing called the local church. <clears throat> I mean, how many 16, 17, 18-year-olds are excited about church? I mean, seriously? I, and I wasn't even in a funky church like this one. I was in a kind of like, quite a set in its ways, full of lovely people, but pretty unexcited church. And yet I was gripped with a passion for the local church. I mean, seriously? Because I knew God has one plan for planet Earth. He has a vehicle through which his kingdom will advance on earth. It's called the local church. He doesn't have a plan B. This is it, the local church. I grasped it, I saw it in the Bible. I thought, man, well, God, then I want my whole future to be about seeing that thing doing really well on earth. So I was gripped. And I just, it was all by just the grace of God. I was blessed, so blessed to have been forgiven and accepted. I thought, well, God, by your grace, I want to. And I remember praying prayers like this. I distinctly remember this as I was out walking and praying in the mornings or up in the hills. I'd pray prayers like this. And maybe some of you have prayed these prayers. Okay, God, just like Zinzendorf, whatever it takes, I'm willing to do anything, go anywhere, do anything you ask me to do. I prayed those prayers. I still pray those prayers. And you know, at age 21, I came to Edinburgh to plant this church. And just before I left Glasgow, a prophet called Ian Raleigh prophesied over me and said this, God says, I've heard when you prayed, I will do anything, I will go anywhere. And God says, now you're going to Edinburgh. That's what a prophet said to me just before I moved to Edinburgh. I'm here because as a teenager, I made a radical choice that how could I not give away what I've got? That's why I do what I do. I could have chosen an easier career path. I could have chosen a simpler route in life. But I'm not, in, who cares? I'm not interested in an easy life. I'm interested in you folks coming with me to heaven. I'm interested in your friends and your families and thousands who are not yet here but will be coming with us to heaven. I'm interested in all of Leith and Gorgie and North and South and East and West and, and all the dozens of areas, every single postcode that's got EH at the beginning of it, having church expressions that bring people to Jesus and bring people to heaven. I'm interested in that. That's why I do what I do. It's by the grace of God. We've been gripped by a message, so we serve. His grace to me was not without effect. That's what the verse says. But I served harder than them all. Yet not I, but the grace of God with me. His grace, here's the question, right? His grace to me was not without effect. Has his grace to you been not without effect? Or has his grace to you been without effect? The New American Standard Version puts it this way. His grace to me did not prove vain. Has his grace to you proved vain? And I'm not saying you're not going to heaven. I'm just saying you ain't done much with it. You know, people talk about the 80-20 principle, that 20% of the people do 80% of the work. I've got good news for you. In destiny, it's 72 28. In fact, sorry, it's 27, 73. Is that right? 
That adds up, does it? Yes, it does. Okay. 27, 73. So it's not 80, 20. I know it's not as quirky. 80, 20, 70. Rolls off the tongue easier. But we're better than that. We're 27, 73. 27% of our members, adults, adults connected in the church, are doing the work. That's better than the average. That's pretty good, isn't it? But do you know what surprises me? Apparently, only 27% of people have been impacted by grace. Hmm. Apparently, his grace to me was not without effect, but it has been that way for 27% of the people. That's wonderful. I really want all of you. See, imagine what it would be like. Imagine what it would be like if 100% of people in Destiny, Edinburgh, allowed the grace of God not just to thrill them that they're going to heaven, but to grip them and say, stuff it. I'm just going to, I'm actually just going to live a radical life. Even if sometimes being radical just means standing at the door welcoming people. Or missing a sermon, going upstairs and serving some kids. I'm just going to do what I can do with my life in gratitude for grace to make a difference in my city. Imagine, imagine the impact that we made mobilizing 100% of people. We have a, have a mission statement for serving. Our mission statement for serving is the title of the series. We've come up with this. It's everyone plays, everyone grows. Say everyone. Everyone plays everyone grows. Our vision for serving in the church is summed up in that statement, and that's why we're calling this series Everyone Plays, Everyone Grows. We believe everyone has a part to play, and as a result, actually, here's what happens. Here's what happens, and you can testify. If you've been involved in serving, you know this yourself. You know this. Everyone grows. You don't just grow by learning stuff. You learn by, so often you grow by carrying weight. By doing something, all of a sudden, you grow, and I want you all to grow in that way. Everyone plays everyone grows. Bless you, Kenny. We love you, man. And this is our statement as a church. We, our leadership statement, we've got five statements, and this is going to be taking up the, four statements, and this is going to be taking up the next four weeks. The first statement is this. We see a church impacted by grace, serving with vision, passion, and excellence. Say that with me. We see a church impacted by grace, serving with vision, passion, and excellence. That's, and that's, is that not what we want? Absolutely. We, we don't want to serve out of drivenness. We don't want to serve to be earning anything or to do our religious duty. We want to be served because we've been impacted by grace. And here's the thing, when you're impacted by grace, you don't need to serve. You actually don't. That's the good thing. You actually, you're saved, whether you serve or not. And that's great news. I love that the gospel's like that. But I would love it that the gospel so impacted us that out of gratitude, what happens is we serve and we say, God impacted by grace. I want to serve with vision, passion, and excellence. So we want to serve with vision. You know, in in 1912, the Titanic was made, and it went on her first maiden voyage. It was a marvel of her age. She was 270 meters long, which was, at that time, if you put it vertically, it was taller than the tallest building on earth at that time. 1,800 people left in her in this unsinkable ship. But tragically, only 675 survived and arrived on the other side after the Titanic hit an iceberg. Titanic took two hours and 40 minutes to sink. While the Titanic was sinking, another ship was being made. She wasn't so well known. She was called the SS Medina. She was not nearly as large or as grand as the Titanic. And for years, she carried onions between New York and Texas. During World War II, she was converted into a troop ship, and she carried soldiers across the ocean. She was bombed and torpedoed, but the ship refused to sink. On one occasion, it crossed, and it was the only vessel in its convoy to reach its destination. After the war, she was sold for scrap, but she was rescued and converted into an Italian cruise liner called the Roma. And for years, she served as an Italian cruise liner. And then years again, years later passed, she was again sold for scrap. But this time, she was rescued by 
OM, Operation Mobilization, a missionary organization, and they converted her into the, what we know as the MV doulos. Doulos is the Greek word for slave, servant, slave. And she became a missionary ship. And for the next several years of her life, decades of her life, the MV Doulos was used as an active missionary ship. And 20 million people visited the ship in 450 ports around the world in 90 different nations. Thousands came to faith through the MV Doulos. She was finally decommissioned 95 years after she was built. Isn't that amazing? Not as impressive as the Titanic, but the legacy was huge. Stuart is actually, you've been on the Doulos, served on the ships for many years. MV Doulos, servant. The purpose of its birth was to serve, and it survived, and it served. And I want that to be your legacy, like the Doulos. I want you to be a servant, and you serve the purpose of God, and you survive, and you make a difference. Paul says this, and again, this is in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. We are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand so we could walk in them. You know, when God saved you, His calling on you to serve is actually inseparable from His salvation. Your salvation and your calling to serve are inseparable. If you look at when Paul the Apostle was saved, if you read that account of when he met Jesus on the Damascus Road, you'll also see that Jesus didn't just save him, he also commissioned him. In that moment, he was saved and commissioned. You see, you can't separate your salvation from your serving. He didn't just save you for heaven. He saved you for earth. You're saved to serve. Say, saved to serve. Turn to your neighbor and say, you are saved to serve. You know, God has a has a big plan for planet Earth. We, we've talked about this a moment ago. His big plan for planet Earth, he's only got one plan for planet Earth, and this is it, the local church. That's it. That's as exciting as it gets. That's the plan. His plan is that this people called the church, his bride, the body of Christ, the church, is going to be the vehicle through which his kingdom spreads and touches every person. It's going to be the means through which society is infiltrated with the influence of God. He has no plan B. If God has only one plan for impacting planet Earth, why do you think He's got a second plan for you? No, no. There's only one big plan. And therefore, every one of us, the plan that God has for us as an individual, will somehow play its part under the umbrella of the bigger plan that He has. God's not going to call you over here while He's doing this thing called the church over here. God's doing one thing. He's not doing two things. He's doing one thing. It's called building the local church, and through the local church, infiltrating society positively and bringing transformation and changing cities and communities. That's his one plan. Your plan is to be part of that plan, not separate, not doing your own thing in the name of Christianity, but that. That's it. That's the plan. Your plan, God's plan for you is to serve as part of that. Therefore, being part of a local church, serving in that local church, being part of that local church is God's plan for your life. That's what God's agenda for you is. You know, we started this church 20 years ago. 20 years ago this summer. It's pretty cool. Two decades. I was 21 then. I'm now 25. It's amazing. How, how did that work even? <laughs> 20 years ago. And I have to tell you, if I'm honest, in fact, this week I met a couple of pastors, and one of the things I love doing is because I was a church planter, I deliberately and intentionally spend time with people who are planting churches in this city because I want to encourage them and I want to give them support because I know, God knows, it's, a, it's not for the faint-hearted. Planting a church is not an easy gig. And in chatting to these two guys, they were saying, Peter, last year was a nightmare. They were saying at several points we wanted to quit. And they, they haven't quit. They're still going. But at several points last year they wanted to quit. But what kept them going was, but we just really believe in God's vision for the local church. And if I'm honest, I look back over the 20 years, and there was been many points when I wanted to quit. I remember when Sammy first came to the church, and I thought, look, can I keep going? I remember there was been very, very many points when I wanted to quit. Joking aside, here's, I tell you what's brutal, people leaving the church. That's brutal. <laughs> now, I put a, a smile on it on Sunday, because what choice do I have? 
you know, and because I'm, I'm, I'm going to keep going. But that's brutal. That's hard. Criticism, that's hard. Sometimes criticism is warranted because I'm not perfect. But sometimes criticism is not warranted. And it breaks your heart. But you just got to keep going. What has kept me going during this gig? And the answer is, I just really believe in the local church. And I'm so blessed by grace. It wasn't easy what he did for me, so I don't assume that what I'll do for him is going to be easy. I've just been impacted by grace, and I just totally love this thing called the local church. I've got vision. Vision keeps me serving. That's why I serve. So I don't care what I'm doing. It, it, it so happens I'm leading the church. It so happens I'm up the front. But I, hey, honestly, honestly, I'd be quite happy. I really would be quite happy being in someone else's church and just serving, just loving, being playing my part. I would be very happy doing that. Be a lot less hassle. <laughs> it really would. I'm actually just doing what I feel God's meant, called me to do, but I wouldn't care really because actually I just love this thing called the local church. I cannot quit on what he will never quit on. So I just want to encourage you, serve with vision. Serve with vision. You know, we want to see, I'd love full bands every Sunday. Why couldn't we have a full band every Sunday? Well, we could shift from the 27% to the 60% or the 70%. Full bands every Sunday. Wouldn't it be amazing? Amazing packed kids ministry with ample servers. Strong youth ministry. Thank God for the youth ministry. Strong youth ministry. You know, an exuberant welcome. Brilliant cafe team going out with an army of people on the streets with the gospel, serving the homeless. Imagine mobilizing this entire army. Wow. Serve with vision. I've got a vision for that. Hope you do too. Serve with vision. We see a church impacted by grace serving with vision, passion. Serve with love and passion. Nothing worse than kind of apatheticness in the name of the most amazing being ever. And so often you see that. In, in, in Christian circles, you see people bland and disinterested and kind of, what? You're representing the most amazing being ever. Why would you do that blandly? He's incredible. Serve with passion. Serve with love. You know, it says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, serve one another in love. Valentine's Day is coming. Imagine on Valentine's Day, I turn up and present Angie with some flowers and say, Angie, here's some flowers. And she says to me, oh, Peter, you didn't need it. Why did you do that? And imagine I say, it was my duty. (laughs) (laughs) It was my duty. Would she feel loved? (laughs) No. Okay, rewind the tape. It's Valentine's Day. I turn up with a bunch of flowers. Angie, here's some flowers. Oh, Peter, why'd you do that? I just, I love you. You're cute. I think you're hot. It's a joy. (laughs) Does she feel loved? Absolutely. Serve one another in love. Don't just serve one another. All right, Peter, I get it. Okay, I hear your message today. I feel guilty already. Okay, I'll sign up to serve. I'll serve in the kids' team. Don't, don't. I don't want you serving in the kids' team if you don't love them. I don't want you feeling guilty, so I'll go in the kids' team then. No, no. I would love if you went in the kids' team because you love the kids. And you think, man, I really want the kids to do well because kids get a rough ride these days, so I want to I invest some great foundations in the kids' lives. Or, hey, I remember what it was like to be a teenager in teenage years in high school. They were tough. I made some bad decisions then. Hey, I could get involved in the youth ministry and help some youth point them in the right direction. Wouldn't that be great? Serve one another in love. Hey, I could just, not, not, not because it's the cool thing to do, like social action and all that. No, no, but actually, hey, I really love people who are poor. That's tough. I'd love to see them elevated out of poverty. I want to get alongside them. I want to show them God's love unconditionally. Serve one another in love. Love this church. Really want to make a difference. I just love this local church. I'm happy to serve. I'll put out chairs on the table. I want to see it as a place where people are helped and blessed and welcomed at the door. Serve one another in love. Don't serve out of guilt. Serve out of love. I want to encourage you. Use the welcome cards. Go to the welcome desk at the end. Put a couple of people at the desk at the end. Go and say, hey, count me in. 
hand in a welcome card. If you're not serving yet, sign up and serve and say, yeah, count me in. And listen, I get it. Everyone's different. Some of you are shift workers. Your time isn't predictable. So it's not so easy for you to serve. Some of you got young family. It's not so easy. Some of you are single parent mums or single parent dads. It's not so easy. I get this. It's not one size fits all here. But hey, there's something you could do. You might not, it might not be the same as someone else. It doesn't matter. But there's something you could do. And I would love for you to play your part. Serve with love and passion in this local church. If you're going to do it, let's do it with passion. We see a church impacted by grace and serving with vision, passion, and excellence. We want to serve with excellence. We don't want to be average. Imagine, imagine you had an operation and you've just been given the anesthetic. And as you're just about to fall asleep, you overhear the surgeon turn to his helper saying, well, I'm kind of an average kind of surgeon. <laughs> Imagine that. You just, it's the last thing you hear just before you fall asleep, and you think, will I ever wake up? Well, I mean, who wants an average kind of surgeon, right? You are an excellent surgeon. Or imagine you're on a flight. Um, just, just say, Ryanair, okay? And then there's a conversation between the pilot and his co-pilot, and they forget to switch off the intercom. And the guy says, just as he's about to put his foot down, is that what they do? I don't know. That, how did you know that? <laughs> wow. That, just before he's about to accelerate down the um, runway, we have a pilot in the front row here, in a, in a, in a plane. <laughs> yeah, it's incredible. The things you didn't know about your Sammy, all right? So, just, he's just very accelerated, and he turns to his co-pilot and says, well, I'm a kind of average kind of pilot. And that comes across the intercom. And you're all freaking out. You're pressing the emergency exits, trying to jump out. Give me that parachute now. Show me the emergency stuff again. We'll pay attention this time. No, forget that stuff. Tell me where the things are. I want a parachute. I don't want a life jacket. That's not going to help me. Drop it. Oh, yeah, I've got a life jacket. I'll float. No, no. I need a parachute. If I fall through there, I don't care if there's no water. I need to be able to fall slowly. Give me a parachute, right? Imagine you heard that just before you take off. I'm an average kind of pilot. You wouldn't want that. What do you want? You want excellence. That's what you want. You don't want average. You want excellence. And listen, we want excellence and how much more in God's house. I want the best pastors. And we're working on that, eh? We're working on that. <laughs> Just kidding you, man. We, we, we want the best pastor. We want the best worship teams. We want the best welcome at the front door. We want people to give them an excellent welcome when they come on door. We want excellent kids ministry, excellent youth ministry. And hey, excellence is a moving target. We've got limited resources. We're all on a journey. But we want to be better tomorrow than we were yesterday. We want to constantly be upping our game. And here's the reality. As we launch more locations, we spread ourselves thin. Quality drops. That's Okay. Sometimes there's not as many musicians on the stage as before, but hey, we've started four locations. We could be one church from one location. We could have a packed band, huge welcome to We could have done all that, but we didn't do that. We chose a different route, and I think what we chose is more of a discipleship route, more of an impacting route. It's not as dramatic looking, but I love it. We're taking more grounds. But how about, let's just raise, I think this service can go to double services in a year. I think you can be so, already you're pretty packed out here this morning, not much room for growth. I reckon two services in this building, double your numbers. But hey, you need more people. We can do things with excellence. Let's serve with excellence. And you know, so, so often we give the best to our work, but we give the dregs to church. I mean, would you turn up late at church? Sorry, at, at work? Would you turn up late at work? You turn up on time at work, but you're kind of, you're kind of a bit shabby when it comes to church. Or you forget to turn out, oh, I forgot I was working today, boss. Well, don't, don't do that in your teams. If you're going to serve on a team, don't, don't say, oh, I forgot I was on the road today. No, no, this is the house of God. I think, no offense to your work, your work is really important. And I think you should give it your best at work. But I do think, eternally speaking, the house of God tops it all. I think it's the most important thing ever. It's the house of God. It's, a, it's not like, this, this is not the show we put on for you. The house of God is the body you are part of. This is us. It's us. And let's, 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 let's value this thing called the house of God like it's up here, even compared to our work. So you don't forget you're on the road. So, man, this is the, I get to do the house of God today. And 
you know, if, 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 you, if you chose to stop working at your place, you'd give it at least one month's notice. And yet so often I've seen people just like a, week, a week's notice. Oh, I've decided I'm going to quit the stewarding team or I've decided I'm going to quit this team. Or, hey, well, come on, seriously? Well, who's going to be your replacement? We've got to treat the house of God with more respect than even you'd treat your workplace. Excellence, say excellence. Let's serve with excellence. Let's have an excellent spirit in the way we serve. That means serve like even if no one sees, serve because God's your God. Serve because He's worth everything. Sign up to serve. I encourage you, sign up to serve with excellence. Put your name down, serve on a team. We want to mobilize this army. Why do we do what we do? What motivates the things that you end up doing with your life? We see a church impacted by grace, serving with vision, passion, and excellence. Martin Luther King Jr. said this, and I end with this quote. An individual has not started living until he can rise above the narrow confines of his individualistic concerns to the broader concerns of all humanity. Life's most persistent and urgent question is this, what are you doing for others? Everybody can be great because everyone can serve. You don't have to have a college degree to serve. You don't have to have a subject. You have your subject and verb agree to serve. You don't have to know about Plato and Aristotle to serve. You don't have to know about Einstein's theory of relativity to serve. You don't have to know the second law of thermodynamics to serve. You just need a heart full of grace and a soul generated by love. Everyone can be great because everyone can serve. Today, I'm just challenging you. In love, I'm challenging you. Because actually, I think it will make you come alive. Sign up to serve. Find a way, find a place you can serve. If you sign up to serve and you may not know, I don't know what area to get involved with, put your name down. Sammy or one of the team will be in touch and we'll investigate that with you. We'll tell you, okay, here's where the needs are. How about meet one of the gaps? Let's pray. God, I I love this church. I love this people. I thank you, God, that you love the people here. And God, we love this city and we love this community. And we love the people you've placed us among, God. And we love this thing you're doing called the local church. God, we want to be totally involved, fully engaged with what you are doing in our generation. Thank you for the privilege of being alive at this time, living in this place, saved by a great Savior. God, I'm asking you, in a new and a fresh way, we as a people will be mobilized and commissioned to see the biggest and greatest things that we've ever seen in our day. See this church grow than it's more than it's ever grown and see more people mobilized in their calling and their mission. Even if it's simple things, just that everyone would play their part. Everyone plays. Everyone grows. Just like Zinzendorf centuries ago said, I will do whatever you call me to do. I pray that would be our heart's cry in Jesus' name. But why don't just under your breath, just pray that prayer. I will do whatever you call me to do. Just tell them, I'll do whatever you call me to do. Church, precious church, just respond to God. Talk to him just now. today as everyone else is praying I want to give you an opportunity today if you don't know God you know God loves you God actually knows you and he's, you're not surprised to him he's known you before you were ever even existed before you were born he knew you and in his love in his radical love Jesus came into this world and when he died on that cross it was for you he died on that cross to save you because you're a sinner and because he loves you. When Jesus died on that cross, he died to take away all of your sin. And right now he's alive, he's risen from the dead, and he's here by his Holy Spirit. If today you're saying, Peter, I want to know God 
I want to know him with all my heart. I want to have him in my life. I want to trust in him as my savior. If that's you, I want to help you make that connection with God just now. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And very simply, I invite you to pray this prayer after me, one line at a time. I'll pray, then you repeat it after me, under your breath. Say, dear Lord God, thank you for your love for me. Thank you, Jesus, for dying in my place on the cross. Thank you, you love me so much, you were willing to do that for me. And thank you, you're alive right now, risen from the dead. Today I put my trust in you. Be my savior, I pray. Forgive me for all my sin. I give my life to you today. Jesus, be Lord of my life and my future. Thank you for hearing my prayer and accepting me today as your child. Keep your eyes closed. If today you've just prayed that prayer, wherever you are in this auditorium, I would love to pray for you. In order to know who I'm praying for, I'm just going to ask you to do a very simple thing. Just where you're sitting, just simply raise your hand. Say, that's me today. Today, I commit myself to following Jesus. Go for it. If that's you today, just raise your hand. Say, that's me. I'll wait for you. It's the greatest decision you could ever make in your life. I'll wait a little bit longer. Is there anyone like that today? Just raise your hand and say, that's me. Thank you. That's brilliant. Is there anyone else? Thank you. God, thank you for this precious person who today in your presence has prayed that prayer and trusted Jesus as their Savior. I pray today would be the beginning of a new life for them, that this would be an adventure with God. Thank you, it's an eternal adventure. And she is saved, accepted, and eternally yours. Thank you for hearing that prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.